0: Podcastle, episode 321, for July 22nd, 2014. Paya Nak by Binjanan Sridwankow. Rated R. Contains ghosts, postpartum and otherwise. Hello, and welcome to Podcastle. I'm your host and co-editor, Dave Thompson. This week at PodCastle, we're going to Thailand and retelling you a folk story from there, but with a slightly new twist. It's a story of sadness, sacrifice, love, longing, maybe even just a dash of hope. It's a dark and twisty tale, but we think it's definitely worth the journey. We at PodCastle are very proud to present Payanak by Binjanan Sri Lankao and was originally published in psy in November of last year. Binjanan jun Kao is a finalist for the Campbell Award for the Best New Writer, and writes love stories, strange cities, and space opera. So, pretty much all the good stuff, right? Her stories have appeared in loads of great places, such as Clark's World, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and the Best of the Year anthologies. Her novella Scale Bright will be out later this year from Immersion Press, it's a contemporary fantasy set in modern Hong Kong, centered around ancient feuds between Chinese gods, snake women, and demon-hunting monks. Oh, I have a friend I need to buy a copy of that for. One for me, too. Also, you want to remember her name, because I suspect she's an author we'll be hearing about a lot in the future. So, meet us down by the river, and enjoy the story.
1: Payanak by Benjanan Sridankal I am dead, and she knows. My tangled hair does not impede desire. My excavated belly, loose sagging skin, does not make her avert her eyes. Her fingers touch the scars of birth and do not shy away. Her mouth closes over the coldness of my skin and does not spit it out. I am a ghost and she does not mind there is a thing in the cradle i rock a lump of flesh stained in my fluids this is what killed me a parasite that took all my food stole all my breath until one day i woke up to find my heart stopped it is a luxury of death that allows me to grow my hair without cease In life it was to my shoulder, now it is to my waist, profuse as river morning glory. My lover's touch keeps away the rot, keeps away the life that wishes to mushroom in my flesh. But no power may keep away the child that is not, the haunting that accompanies the thing that is not of me. It chews at me, toothless, demands my attention with its unformed gums as we float in the shallows don't i disgust you my love appears at me with golden eyes if you are cold then so am i if you are other than human then i am too in my gaze you are clean and i'm a vessel of wisdom can you not rid me of this creature no i'm sorry she is Payanak. She is monarch among serpent kind, and once she allowed me to see her true form, and that broke my heart to pieces. Her jeweled tongue flicked out to catch every one. She is a girl's dream. She is a queen, and snakes, great and small, make obeisance to her. <sighs> if only my baby was a snake egg-hatched, compelled to prostrate before her might. I lower my face to her scales. Sometimes below the waist, she is snake. Sometimes she is woman. Now she is coils upon coils, black, all the shades that are black, and she wraps her serpent part around me until we are one, fastened at the waist like a conjugal vow. My husband will return one day. I will give him to one of my sisters to eat or drown as she pleases. Mark is not a bad man. He lies between us as draught lies between mortals and survival. He hangs over the knot of our want as a blade hangs over a thread. And she is right. She is right. Yet I do not hate him. I chose a man I could endure, if not love. I chose a man who would be as good a husband as men can be. There are worse. There are ones who speak with fists in place of tongue. I can leave him. Let them tell him I'm gone. And that thing with me. We both know that cannot be. The house I shared with him will pull me back. And I will be there, by the cradle, rocking and singing to a thing that does not eat, except from a vein at my wrist. I'm drying. When it is done feeding from me, what then? Will it drink from its father's neck until he joins me? Will it eat water weeds? When will it want meat? In the temple, there are icons of a kind. Gilt and paint on wood and bronze, none doing her justice, for she beggars life. When I can, I would circle the walls early before dawn, but it is a way barred. it is a way despising. Everything I am is unholy, dead with a child in my belly, dead with desire that lingers, dead, dead. I wish to give food. I wish to make prayers. I wish to kneel before a saffron robe longpo and beg him for succor. Thinking that the not child must be the befouling influence, I kill a chicken. Its neck snapping in my hands easily as a child's, and leave it for the creature. I do not know what it will do with that ruin of feathers and bones, and I do not wait to see. It casts the broken thing aside and comes after me on all fours. So I find another chicken, break one of its legs, and give my baby that. This satisfies better. A dead thing offers no sport, no interest. A live chicken, that offers so much more. Veins that pump and a heart that shouts. I do not listen to the sounds it makes as I hasten to the temple. The gate is open, and beyond it, shredded paper in bright colours eddy. Vestiges of a new year that's gone unmarked for me. Even the season hardly makes itself felt, when once I could tell it's turning to the day, by the patterns of wind and sky, by the heat and damp on my skin. I was a woman who could put her toes into the soil and know if it will yield. I was a woman who could plant anything and make it grow. My flesh has swallowed itself scar skin deaf and mute sometimes it feels more planted than human an unthinking thing that understands only sun and water all green and empty i do not try to eat i stretch my arms until they are through the temple gate and there's no resistance there is only hot songkran air new and stark holiness is so quiet there are novices in the courtyard sweeping leaves and detritus I look down at my hands and wonder, what colour is my skin now? Is it the grey of corpse, the blisters of rot? My eyes are not to be trusted any more. The novices take no heed of me. Neither do the old grandmothers and grandfathers who have risen early. Neither does the long poor, that comes to greet them with loud blessings. Neither does my mother who wanders the temple grounds with grief in the creases of her eyes of outliving one's child. I forget courtesy, I forget decency. I pound on doors and run with my muddy feet through the prayer hall, through the scriptorium where no woman is allowed to trespass. Every door opens to me, every bolt slides aside to admit me. But no living sees or acknowledges my voice, my empty belly, my feet like drums. When I am ragged, I return to the river where my lover waits, where my lover acknowledges me with her skin and her scales, where my lover makes me real again, fleshed and haired, reflected in the slit mirrors of her eyes. It cannot be my fault, my crime, that I went into the earth with a womb full. The accounting of the wheel must be fairer than that. Today, my husband returns. The knowledge sits taut under my ribs, for today I may not leave the house. Today I pace its periphery, but I cannot seek the river bank. I cannot dangle my feet among the frogs and sing quietly to my heart wife of insights like a prapotisats and lips like a gimnarese. In the corner of the house, the child that is not curls, its mouth red with viscera, its head thick with feathers. While I wasn't looking, it grew. Not a baby, not any more. Its toddler fists clench and unclench around chicken bones. I've begun to contemplate its death, only it is a ghost, like me, with me. It swims like a fish, has weathered its bout with a chicken unscathed. What else can it do? Will it burn? Will I burn with it? Mosquitoes pass me by. Dead flesh isn't much good and my veins haven't much blood. I greet Mark on the steps of our house. He does not speak. He weeps in my lap because that is what wives are for. He does not ask after my pregnancy because that is what men are like and might well have ignored the monster it does not tolerate ignoring and while the salt is still thick on his cheeks it erupts into a scream that is not child or human mark hears what he will hear and sees what he will see and what he sees is a red-cheeked baby radiantly healthy and brown as laughter. He goes to it, cooing affection through his sword grief, the grief of flies clustering thick in the midday sun on bodies sunken into mud. By the next day he no longer looks like a soldier, having stripped to his waist and having asked me to trim his hair, neaten by the buffalo horn comb he gave as one of my wedding gifts. It took him so long to put together the dowry, And he does not deserve a wife who never intended fidelity. A bride in love with another long before she clasped eyes upon him. This guilt drove me to bear the child. This guilt was my murder-suicide. Mark doesn't talk much of the war, saying only that we've won and that it is over. There will always be fighting, I say though I do not mean anything by it. But he blanches. If I cannot be alive, I should strive to be comforting. He leaves the house to reacquaint himself with the busyness of the market, the opulence of his brother's family, the brother who inherited everything, and who sells pastin threaded in gold and silver to city ladies. They will regard him with quiet terror, for who will be the first to tell? Your wife has passed, your child with her. Your house stands empty. They will close ranks and wait for someone else to find courage. I try to remember if he has enemies, for memories recede by the moment. He must have. Who does not? I had suitors, didn't I? Two or three I must have chosen Muck out of them, for a reason. Was it because he was handsomer? No, nothing could be more beautiful to me than the snake who stole my heart and knotted my dreams. But he was gentle, yes, that would be why. So quiet a boy, never getting into a fight, until this, this call to battle, this demand of duty. It has been a week, and no one has shattered his domestic delight. This cannot be merely a matter of cowardice. If none musters the bravery, one or another would have mustered malice. So when he comes home one evening, I ask him, Has anyone told you odd things? From his expression, yes. I can tell that he did not believe it. He grins. Brittle and ease. Nothing. I've picked mangoes from my brother's garden. The next day, my lover comes to me, leaning in from the window. I know her lower half is serpentine, coil upon brilliant coil twining up the house stilt. Such gravity of being that I imagine my bare feet may feel its weight through the wood. Why don't you come to see me any more? I show her my wrists, which are fettered in shimmering birth cords, far too long to be true, far too thick to be real. They wind around me, clenching, muscled around my stretched stomach. Oh, she murmurs, and blows on the fleshy grey ropes. They fray and fall, thumping like hearts. The baby hisses. Leave it. Leave him. I've asked my mother, and her mother, and her sisters. For what? She pushes herself further into the house, her hair sliding wetly. For you to become one of us and live. But you are holy. I cannot imagine being clean ever again, let alone so elevated and pure as she. You are my wife of body and heart. All that's missing is the name, and we require new blood now and then to strengthen us. It would violate the order of things were I to have turned you when you were living. But now it's merely to hurry you along the path of rebirth. It can't be that easy. It will be. I know these things, my knuck, my brave, lovely Nuck. She laughs and finger-writes out the knuck that she is and my name side by side. Alike in sound, despite one letter's difference. We will rid you of that creature, and that will be that. How? She is wise. Her mother must be doubly so. In my chest, the cavity that once housed ventricles, excitement palpitates. She puts her lips to my cheek, her hands to my face. We will find a way. Howling dogs in the night. I've always been told they can see the deceased more clearly than any other beast of the low order. And it is true. They see through the blush of health my lover has given me, the nimbleness of my limbs. They smell decay held off by the whip of a pulse, disintegration kept at bay by the length of a prayer. It is a tooth sound, they are howling. Out of terror, it said. That is wrong. Hounds, large or small, are territorial. Even the most cowardly have jaws made for tearing. And despite my lover's ages, I am only flesh. There are times when even that lapses, and I see myself, luminescent and pallid, not yet so far gone that lava dribble from the corners of my mouth, but unhumanly textured and fibrous like the inside of young bamboo. My eyes shrink deep-set, my face protrudes all skull. It speaks for her sinuous strength that she has been able to anchor me all this time. Often, I lose count of the days. It's hard to recall precisely how long you've been dead. One day slides into the next, with not much to separate each. The motion of sun and stars ceases to signify, The day sheds warmth, but none for me. Staying downwind, I avoid the dogs. Behind me, my passerby streams. This is a dark for storms, blistering heat, waiting for the rain to whip it apart. At my hip, the child, right swaddled, heavy and heavier. Its limbs have lengthened, thick or tendons from the meat that has served its gluttony. The features are no longer muffled on the baby fat. They have gained sharp edges in its eyes. Immense are ovoid black, mirrored and mirroring. For the moment it is quiet, for the moment it is sated. I'll need to find something wild, for it loves nothing that grows from the earth. Only things hot will do with Viscera inside and hide outside. Was I taught to set snares It's difficult to recall childhood, difficult to recall anything older than this state of being, anything earlier than waking, to find myself not in the afterlife, but trapped inside a cage of my own ribs and entrails. The night splutters thunder. A buffalo crouches before me. It glistens like glass, with horns like blades. No more a living animal than am I a living woman. It turns, and I follow. The shaman stands limbed in stormlight. I thought, I say, surprised that I still have the capability for surprise. You'd be an uncle, not an aunt. Her mouth pulls back to bare beetle-stained teeth. The buffalo returns to her hand, clay again, inert once more. Coming from the rain, dead daughter. That soldier boy's wife, aren't you? To be received like a living woman? To have a pa kao ma passed over so I may be rid of the worst of the wet? My condition dulls all feelings, but at that moment I miss my mother and aunts with a wrenching desperation. Tears have crusted to salt behind my eyes, but the urge is not gone with their drying. I give why to the shaman, who is more peep She hardly heeds the monster. Her house brims with paraphernalia, and she is herself draped in black beads, a small knife hanging from her neck. When she sits, she does cross-legged, not womanly at all, in a way my mother would have gently cuffed me for. We were trying hard to rise above our station. She wanted me to find a croon that husband and in preparation for that, tutored me in numbers. Instead, Mark came and a dowry happened. Obligation drove me to that. A lack of it would have driven me into scaled arms where I might have lived by her side in a scorpion tail, playing on a drum and making a living by weaving weeds into baskets and toys. But I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have broken mother's heart. Did someone come to you on my behalf, auntie? I would have said my lover, but who admits that? Especially to an aunt so grey of hair, so severe of jaw. more Pim, snorts. Your paramour. I have little patience for those unable to keep faith with their spouses. Yes, the payanak came. Meddling the lot of them, and what they want they will want without stopping to think if it's good for anyone. Wisdom! Not the young ones, for sure. Will you help? I search the shelves, the shrines, to house spirits, the effigies of her servants. You don't have a kumantong. A stillborn child makes a fine familiar. And I don't want one daughter. I've more than enough to serve, and I'm not the sort of morphe who must accumulate more and more to show power. You do know the sin of dying with a child will haunt you, and you'll have to carry that debt into your next life. I wanted to live. I didn't try to die. It's not my fault. Who says being a woman is fair? Your mother must have taught you injustice as your natural state and hers, she grimaces. No one gets everything they want, except those higher beings like a pyanak. Leave that thing with me. I'll see if I may tame it, but I promise nothing. Remember, abandoning your own is grievous, and you'll pay for lives to come, such as how the world turns. I give her the baby. She wraps it over and over in blessed threads. It wails. It screams for me, and for the first time, there is a word. Mother. With a speed only a dead woman may know, on legs that do not tire, I flee from the shaman's house. I am free. I am free. What will you do if I am gone, Mark? He looks up from his books. Of late, he's been obsessed with those learning to read in toddling steps, letter by letter and vowel by vowel, the language of the capital and officials. Perhaps it is an escape from the recall of steel going through flesh, of limbs being shorn cleanly off like errant shrubs. When he asked me where our child is, I told him that an elder relative is taking care of it. Mark thinks it is a son, so a son it is. I indulge. Don't say that. It's bad luck. That he can see me is a puzzle. Is it because the monster is partly of his flesh? Is that the logic of the wheel, the covenant between skin and ghost? I've never had the stoutest heart, dear one. What if some terrible sickness strikes me down? His breath shortens, as though I've put my hands around his throat and closed them tight. Please don't talk like that. So I don't. Our house has always been built on words and said and truths held back, then pressed into little woven baskets until they are packed hard as earth. Why would that change now? Just because I'm no longer among the living? Perhaps all marriages function much the same way. I imagine that under each house, a woman has buried wicker boxes just as I have, and each would be as full as mine. Not of steam-sticky rice as they do in the north, but full of secrets. This idea soothes, for if all wives do the same, then who can blame me? Sometimes, just for comfort, I would sit here by my window and reach below to pat where I dug and whispered my desires into the soil. To extend my arms long as the house stilts must look grotesque, But my lover finds it wonderful to see my limbs flexible as hers, to see my frame transcend the confines of its human shape. You're learning to become one of mine, she would say. You see, it's not so hard. Pressing myself against the floorboard, I shut my eyes and feel for that patch of land. There is one last obligation to discharge, one last farewell to make. Night falls. It is my time. Loud, with screaming dogs and waters lapping at morning glory waiting to be picked at dawn. Much has loud from my recollection, but not the path from here to there, the way to the home into which I was born. The house has grown, younger brother said, having married and brought his wife into the family two houses on their long, long legs and chicken coops underneath them, half bred for food, the other for cockfighting, my father's passion. I look in on older sister Pa, who sleeps alone, surrounded by her woodwork. It's an embarrassment to have wedded before she and her still a maid, if not in the most technical sense, more than two years after I found Mark. She is so tall, her arms so corded, that few men find her a suitable bride. Publicly, this shames her. In private, she waves her hand and says she's escaped. And besides, someone needs to take care of the children, of which Sit and his wife, Jai, are expected to have plenty. Moonlight on mosquito net on my parents. They have become very old. By their mat, I fold myself, and at their feet, I touch my brow to the boards. Forgive me, mother, father. I'm sorry I couldn't be the daughter you deserved. I'm sorry I couldn't stay to take care of you. I'm sorry I didn't give you grandchildren. In the next life, I will repay you. They don't wake. They don't hear. I stay to watch older sister rise. She is earlier than anyone, up to chisel and later to pound, yellow sheets into tableaus of legend and piety she sells upriver to the rich. When the sun dawns gold and red, I take my leave. I like to think that she looked up once, startled by a noise she couldn't quite hear. It is late, and Mark has not come home. Even before I died, we coincided so rarely on the sleeping mat, and it matters as lie between men and women. I was distant, he noticed, and did not press. I managed to fall pregnant and that was that. Any number of things could keep a husband out well into the night. I do not fault him. How can I when I've been faithless from the first? My lover has been five days gone, busy making an egg for me from stones and scales held together by dew collected from Himapan, the forest of her birth. When we are done with this, she told me, I'll bring you there and show you all the secret places of my girlhood. Only promise you'll spurn the upsawn Sriha when they make eyes at you. To that, I laughed. Who would make eyes at me? She's given me venom, sweetened by ripe mangoes, for me to take thrice a day. It will purge me of impurities, prepare me for the change. I told her I wasn't afraid, but I am. Yet, I'm already dead, so what more could go wrong? Under the mango, her venom scorches, like the scorpion whiskey I once gulped on Sits dare. Half the bottle is left, which means five more days stretch ahead of me. Setting down the bottle, I hear voices. Peering out the window, I see slashes of torchlight, and men putting up a fence of rods and holy thread. I look on for a time, uncomprehending, until I see the oil they've brought to pour on the stilts and the steps of this house. They've come to burn it. They've come to burn me. Perhaps it was the dead chickens. Perhaps someone saw me with a knot child. I climb out, thinking that I'm invisible to them. The cries tell me I am wrong. Only a thread. Stretching so taut and white, I need only to step over it, and I cannot. This sliver of holiness impedes better than an iron gate. The men fling their torches. One lands at my feet, sizzling. I look at it and at them, some blanche. Others grip their machetes. Behind me, around me, the flame pours. Heat brushes my cheek. My skin feels like sand. I measure my steps, waiting for the thread to burn and fall apart, for that must have been long before the house crumbles. Above the hissing and crackling, I call out, Where is Mark? Safe! I don't recognise the speaker, but then it's hard to recognise any face now. You're dead, Nark. Ghosts should be with ghosts, the living with the living. I do not want to be with him, I say distantly, and the chow priya arises. The river swallowed much, the houses, the torches, though not the men. The weight of my sin is already thick without adding their death to it. Payanak venom burns bright in my stomach, which has become as warm and full as though time has turned back, and I am with child again, alive again. The Chowpraya listens when its mistresses call, and who reign over it firmer than the rulers of serpent kind? Within me a pyre rages. I sink into it. I sink into the waters. When the fever breaks, I am immersed in silt, and, though I haven't yet any scales, the currents rush through my marrow, susurrating against my arteries. More natural to swim than to wade or walk. Obeying this instinct, I am a needle through the fabric of the Chao which parts before and seals behind me as only the best muslin can. By mid-morning, I am at the peace home. Under the green shadows of banana leaves, it looks only ordinary, guarded by a water buffalo that is only a buffalo, not a spirit beast of bladed horns and iron hooves. It takes no notice of a ghost. She sleeps the day away, or the village comes to her in the evening. An appointment with a shaman is always clandestine. An admission, you're stepping outside the pious path of seeking monkly advice. But when I cross the threshold, she is up and there is a knife quivering in the wood behind me and a hand, precisely as solid as mine, on my wrist. From the corner of my eye, I can see she is an older woman, healthily dark and not unlovely. What do you want? Moppy Pym gestures for her servant to pluck out her knife. The baby. Did you change your mind and decide you adore it after all? It's mine, auntie. "'The burden and filth should not fall upon your virtue,' the shaman smiles, a slash of teeth. "'My virtue's long sunk to the pit's daughter. Are you sure? I had a dog of a time calming down that thing.' "'I am sure. I am not. "'She has wrapped the small casket in wax threads, soaked the wood in fragrant oil, bound the lid in strings of knuckle-bones.' The sides are inscribed in a script even more unfamiliar than that used in Krungtep, a daub of golden ink. The birth cords come back, thick, so thick, moving against my skin in dry murmurs. Auntie, may I have your knife, please? Her servant passes it over. I turn the blade on myself. The last piece of me that hasn't yet wakened to life, the piece that I do not need. Before I was dead, and dead only, but now there are the ghosts and the woman, and it is time for them to part. There is hardly any blood, barely any hurt. It is a womb, and no more than a nail clipped, a lock of hair trimmed. It is not me, it is not myself, simply a bit of dead. We burn the organ, and the birth cords fall away for the last time, shriveling like paper in fire. When I undo the shaman's bindings and open the casket, it is empty. I give the Maupi a deep why, and if you ever need anything from the river, she shakes her head, go, be well, or be whatever it is you've become. My bare feet are light on the grass. I walk, then run, as I've never run since I was a girl, into the river
0: where my lover waits. And welcome back. We asked Ben about the inspiration behind this story. She told us it's a retelling of a popular Thai folk story about a wife's faithful love persisting beyond the grave. In the original at the end, Nok must part from her love because the dead and the living aren't meant to be together. Ben Janin told us, I wanted to change it around a little and give it a different sort of hopeful ending. Hmm, I love those kind of stories. The really dark ones that have that thin lining of hope that shimmers at just the right angle. Fantastic. Okay, feedback this week is for a different kind of haunt. Kefi R. M. Curley's This is a Ghost Story, read by Rajan Khanna. This was a story that centered on depression, the hole that it leaves, and found a blurred kind of shape in the ghost of Kurt Cobain. So many interesting comments on this story, I wish I could dig into all of them, but it does look like this story struck quite a few of you very differently. Listener said, I like the mood created by this story, but I didn't really connect with it. There weren't any characters I could hitch my wagon to and say, this is the guy or girl I care about. Varda said, among other things, it all boils down to the fact that we treat mental illness differently from how we treat other kinds of illness. Instead of recognizing that a person is in excruciating suffering, we stigmatize it, say they're selfish or narcissistic, and fail to see how suicide might just seem like the only good option left when you're in such a dark place. We would understand it if a person were in awful physical pain if they just wanted it to end. But when the pain is in your brain chemistry itself, we make it out to be a moral failing to suffer so. Varda wrote quite a bit more about it, and it's really worth checking out at our forum. And Mauseneb said, thanks for running this, it was amazing. I went and read the piece in print as well, which was really interesting, as the layout of the words is a part of the piece that's difficult to express in audio. The audio version was fantastic, though. I wasn't a Nirvana fan, or aware of Cobain's suicide in any meaningful way when it happened. I've become more of a fan of the music since, but I think this piece works both as a tribute to Cobain, as well as if it is taken apart from any specific person or reference. Hard story to listen to, definitely. Very glad I did. Thank you again. Wow, we're very glad you did too. Thank you so much for those comments. Head on down to forum.escapeartist.net and let us know what you thought of this week's tale. And if you feel moved to, hit us up at podcastle.org. Please make a donation. Your money goes to paying our authors, authors, I might add, who live all over the world, and keeping us up in the air so we can broadcast them to you week after week. Thank you for giving whatever you can. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, Anna Schwint, Peter Wood, Leshawn Wanick, Graham Dunlop, and myself, thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We have run some pretty dark pieces this summer. We've run a couple of lighter ones, too, but I think it's time for a couple of straight-up adventures. And we're going to kick it off next week with an original story by none other than our old pal, Ann Leckie, as read by another old pal, Mr. Alistair Stewart. Together, they're going to save your bacon. It's an adventure and a comedy, you guys, and you don't want to miss it. Until then, this is Dave Thompson, wishing you'll be well, or be whatever it is you will become. We'll see you next time
1: podcastle is a production of escape artists incorporated and is
0: distributed on a creative commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license share it but don't change it or sell it our theme music is by shiva in exile you can find them at magnetune.com. and if you like science fiction or horror be sure to visit our sister podcasts escape pod and pseudopod and if you enjoyed this episode tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the paypal link on our site our closing quote is from Friedrich Nietzsche who said, "The snake which cannot cast its skin has to die, as well the minds which are prevented from changing their opinions. They cease to be mind." Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.